The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? He said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels. The angels said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. And go ahead and have a seat. Well, many of you would probably be able to join me is that We've been around long enough 
that we've played some sports and we've been a part of team sports. But we've also been around long enough probably that we've been able to be spectators of sports. And maybe some of us has even served in, in, the, in the worlds around us as coaches or leaders to sports. And so with that in mind, I think there's a really good chance that you're going to know along with me what it means when a coach yells to his players or a player, get your head up. When a coach yells at somebody, stop hanging your head, get your head up. See, looking down, all slouched over, head down, eyes down, that's the posture of someone who's discouraged, right? That's the posture of it. When a player makes a mistake, when an opponent's getting the upper hand, when the game isn't going right according to their plan and they're behind, the coaches can see it. They know that you, you can't play very well when your heads are down and you're discouraged. Teammates and supporters, they, they know it too. They know that you are not seeing what they are seeing. See, the coaches and the spectators and your friends and the, your family in the stands know that when your head is hanging low, you're giving away your chance to win. When your head is hanging low and you're frustrated and you're hopeless, you're actually just basically assuming defeat. You're giving away any chance to win. Coaches know that you've got to get your head up. That you've got to get your mind and your heart back into it. And you cannot do that in this posture. It doesn't work that way. You've got to shake off what has knocked you down. You've got to roll past the obstacles. And you've got to move on. The catch is, when you're down, when your head's down and your eyes are down, that's not easy to do. Whether in sports or in life, in life, when life is knocking you down, it's not easy to bring your head and your eyes back up. A few moments ago, we heard a story about a couple of people, a couple of men, and their heads were, they were hanging low. They were disciples of Jesus. They were probably two of that group of 70 that he had sent out earlier in the gospel book and they'd gone out and they'd been sharing the good news and they'd been healing the sick and casting out demons and they all came back just celebrating this Messiah who had sent them with power and they'd gone and done his work with power and they'd come back. So probably these two, there's a good chance they are one of those, they're a pair of those 70 that had been sent. They brought healing to people. They had had big hopes on Jesus and all that was going to come. But their friend Jesus, the one they'd hoped would raise up and restore Israel, well, that Jesus had just been killed. Their dream of a God-blessed Israel was shattered. They were in shock. They were grieving in a deep way. They were heartbroken in ways that's hard for us to understand. And they were without hope. Heads down, eyes down, two disciples are walking on this road to Emmaus. Curious thing, this Emmaus. Right now, we don't know where Emmaus is. And we don't know where Emmaus was. It's referenced, but we don't know. So think about it. If we don't know where Emmaus was, that means Emmaus could be anywhere. Any walk, 
where people's dreams have been shattered, where people are, are beaten down or they're tired or they're defeated, death is looming, illness is looming, something's going on, crisis in the world, and we are looking down anywhere. People are walking in blindness because they've lost their hope. That could be an Emmaus walk. Two disciples are walking away from Jerusalem now. And they are on their Emmaus walk. Now we can imagine that they were walking slow. Because if you don't really have a purpose to walk, that your purpose has been defeated, you probably just walk without a purpose. You just walk slow. Maybe it was all they could do just to continue their journey. You know, you've heard the phrase, just keep on keeping on. You know, when something goes bad and your life is just full, it's hard to keep moving the next day. People who are coming off of the death of a loved one, what do you do the next day? You just keep on keeping on. You go to work. You make your breakfast. You wash your dishes. You just keep on. Maybe that could have been them. They were simply taking one step after another, keeping on, keeping on, which is not easy to do when you are down on life. It's not easy to play that last part of a game when the first part of the game has gone wrong. And just this last week, I got to see it firsthand. I watched a baseball team, these local, the Hogs, and by the time they got to the the second two-thirds of the game, they were down quite a bit, right? And then they they put in the pitcher. They had no chance of saving the game or restoring them. Man, they hit home run after home run after that guy. It's like they threw in the towel. Their heads were down. Fair enough, we'll just throw this one away and we're going to try to get another game in tomorrow the next day. How hard it is to play those last two or three innings knowing that you have no hope to win the game. I've seen it in football. I've seen it in cycling. I've seen it in swimming. I've seen it in people's lives. It's not easy to keep on going when life has taken a turn for the worse and your future has no hope. But these two kept going. And as they keep walking, a stranger shows up. And he starts to walk with them. And their heads are continuing to hang down low. They are so preoccupied with their own disappointment and their own grief that they fail to recognize the stranger who has joined them. That's the way it is. When you focus on what has been lost or fouled up, you become oblivious to what is going on around you. You can't see opportunities. You can't see promises. You can't see blessings. You can't see hope. You cannot even, perhaps, even see the Lord Jesus who is accompanying you in that dark, hard walk. Now, at some point in this walk, their walk is interrupted with a question. The question is this, what are you discussing together as you are walking away? Now, we're told that that question kind of startled and shocked the disciples because they stopped walking. They can't believe the question. They're shocked that this stranger does not know the reasons why they are so down and why they feel the way they do. So they tell this stranger all that had happened. 
They start telling about the events that led up to Jesus' entry into the city, then his arrest there, and then his, 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 after his betrayal of the rest, and after the arrest, the mistreatment, and eventually the beating and the cross and the slow death on that cross and the defeat of all that and the burial. They start telling them all this. And then they said what is arguably one of the most sad or the saddest statement that we have in the New Testament, or maybe even the Bible. The disciples said to the stranger walking with them, they said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Did you hear it? They had hoped. Past tense. Done. Over. Gone. No longer did they have hope. Their hope had been arrested. Their hope had been wrongly accused by the religious ones. Their hope had been beaten and strung up on a cross by this occupation army and its government. Their hope had been buried in their tomb. Their hope had been sealed up in death. And now they were without hope. Without hope. Let me ask you this. What is worse than trying to live without hope. No wonder their heads were down. No wonder they were blinded. Then the stranger said to them, he calls them out, he says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. How foolish it is to lay your faith aside. How foolish it is to forget the Holy Scriptures. How foolish it is to forget the work and the power and the promise of the Messiah of God that you have personally seen as you have walked with Him. How foolish that is. There is nothing more foolish than that. And more. How foolish it is to give up your hope and hang your head and adopt a defeat, a guilt, and quit that you are walking away hoping that no one's going to see or notice and just let you walk away alone. Fools. But Jesus tells these, after Jesus tells the disciples that they're foolish for this, he doesn't stop there. He does what God always does. He helps them discover why they're foolish and he helps to restore them to a place of hope and promise. This is the part of the gospel lesson that we can pay attention to because what happens next in this gospel lesson, I think it's intended that it will happen on days just like today and to people just like you and me. First thing that the stranger does is that when he gathers with them or as he's walking with them, he begins to reveal and to teach the word of God. He's given them a perspective of God's perspective and how all things have been fulfilled in this Jesus. That's what he does first. He helps them understand what God has been doing and up to all along in the scriptures. That's the first thing he does, brings the word. The second thing he does is he, when he gets in this this table setting, is he reverses roles. He comes in as the guest, but somewhere in this meal, he's going to reverse the role and he's going to not be the guest. He's going to be the authoritative leader of that house in this meal. So the disciples invite him in for this dinner, this supper. They've prepared the food. They're presenting the meal. It's all out there ready. And about the time that they're going to give God thanks for the food that they were about to eat, the stranger takes over. He takes the bread. And he, he blesses it. He gives God thanks and praise, words that they'd seen before. 
Then he breaks the bread and he gives it to them. This is his bread. This is his body. And in that moment, hope is restored. Their eyes are opened. Their hearts are healed. Again, hope is restored. Eyes are going to start looking up. They recognize the stranger as he broke the bread. The stranger is the Messiah. The stranger is Jesus himself. Now, though he disappears as soon as they see, their eyes don't go back to looking down. Their eyes begin to look up and around. Their minds begin to, to race with God thoughts. Their minds race with God possibilities. Their eyes are filled with God and God's vision and God's joy. Through God's word and God's sacrament in this breaking of his bread, this holy communion, they discover that their Lord has in fact won. That he lives and he continues to be with them just as he promised. And they could see it in the word and the breaking of the bread. These two disciples then, who were once defeated and hopeless, once down, now they are up and they're going to start running back to Jerusalem. They're rushing. They have a purpose in their step. Because they're going to tell their friends this good news, that they have now a purpose in their life. They have a truth and a joy to share. They declare to their friends upon arrival, it is true. The scriptures, the story of redemption, it is true. And the Lord has been risen. He is with us, even if we cannot see it. There's the thing for every people and every time. He is with us, even if we don't see it. For any of us who have ever been exhausted, for us who have felt defeated, for us who hang our heads down low, for any of us who wanted to just look down, for us who just want to be left alone, to just walk away. To us and to the world around us comes today's word of God from Luke's gospel. And it says that wherever you are, wherever you are traveling in life, whatever your circumstances, God's good news of love, life, and heaven will continue to win. And you, you are not alone. Whether you see it or not, the Lamb of God is risen and He is with us. Jesus is waiting then for an invitation. Just like the men in this story asked Him and encouraged Him to come into the house with Him. Jesus is waiting for an invitation for us to do the same thing. And He's waiting for an invitation to the world around Him to do the same thing. To invite Him in, to risk having a stranger come in who's been sharing this good news. And He's cherishing an opportunity to commune with you. To bring His healing to you. To let His body enter your body and restore you from the inside out. To open your eyes to His truth. To set you free. Now at this point, we see these echoes of the words every week as we have a liturgy. See, what we learn on Sundays, we celebrate on Sundays, just isn't from the words of the gospel lessons, just isn't the words from the person who is sharing the message, but it's in the liturgy that we declare every week. 
With that in mind, think about this. When the pastor says, the Lord be with you, what do you say? That's no longer heads down. That's already forcing you to come up. When the pastor says, lift up your hearts, you say? We say that every Sunday. Every Sunday. When the pastor says, the Lord has risen, or Christ has risen, the people say, He has risen indeed. Hallelujah. He's our coach from heaven. And He's calling out to us. Heads up. The game's won. Stop acting like you're defeated. So we are people of a victorious God. Now, think for us as we go here, the gospel lesson didn't end with just their heads up. The gospel lesson ended when they shared this good news. So we're a mission church. Whether we're a church of 200 people or we're a church of 20,000, we're a mission church because that's God's church. We're a mission church. And half of our culture doesn't know the good news. They don't have time for them, and their heads might be down. So this week, you've heard the good news, like the disciples. The scriptures have been opened to you. You're going to receive the sacrament of his body and blood. And now healed and unblinded and restored, who can you share this good news with? in such a way as that they can hear it? Who can you invite to study and pray with you? Who could you pray with? Who can you walk with? Who can you accompany this week as they go through a a storm? Who is that person? Who are those people? Start with your family, then your friends, and bring them the good news. And then bring them home to their father, because it's really him that's going to heal through us. That's the mission of our church. That's what this gospel lesson inspires. And I say, God, help us be this kind of a people. Amen.